Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you invite us to call unto you and you promise to answer us and show us great and mighty things which we know not. And we thank you for all the ways in which you're working in response to our prayers. We thank you for how the gospel is advancing, not only here through our church, but through churches all over the world, like uh, the one at which the Portillo's minister and Miss Roman. Lord, we thank you for these missionaries. We pray that you'd bless their time on furlough, meet their needs. Uh, please help uh, Mrs. Angela Portillo. We pray that you would strengthen her body and help her to get back to 100%. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless Miss Roman's time at home as well. Uh, that she'd have a good furlough and help her, give her the wisdom she needs to disciple um, these new converts. And Father, we lift up to you uh, Mrs. Mackay tonight. We pray that you would touch her body and heal her so that she can enjoy uh, the time they have planned with their friends. Uh, Lord, please heal her tonight. Uh, we know that you're the great physician and you can do that. And Father, we pray for these that have heard the gospel today, that you would uh, allow that gospel seed to take root and it wouldn't be snatched away by the enemy. Lord, we pray for uh, Nicole, whom Pastor met, uh, that you'd continue to work in her heart, that she would look up the website and watch the videos and be gloriously saved. We pray also for Brother Marshall's friend Evan and Long. And, and others who are witness to, to today, Lord, we pray that you would work in their hearts and draw them to yourself. And as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of it. Please guide the tongue of this preacher. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You can take the word of God with me. We'll go in our Bibles to Paul's second epistle to Timothy. And Lord willing, this will be our final message in this epistle. 2 Timothy 4. We'd like to say, we should say this more often, but the Metro Baptist Church family, is a, you're a joy to, to preach to. Uh, I think a lot of pastors would be envious of the type of reception uh, that we have from this pulpit, just the attentiveness, especially on Thursday nights when you're tired, you've worked hard all day, you're, you're just trying to stay awake, and yet uh, you also listen well, too. And so I just want to thank you and uh, commend you for that. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, but uh, before we get there, I was watching a video the other day on Michael Phelps, and I found out that during a certain stretch in his career, he was in the pool and not, not chilling in the pool, working out in the pool every single day for over five years. Every single day. I pulled out a calculator and multiplied that out. That's 1,825 days in a row in the pool, working out. Uh, in interviews, Michael Phelps has been very clear with people. A lot of those days, 
he didn't even want to get out of bed, much less get in the pool again to work out. So over, over the stretch of all those years, and he, he, he was in the Olympics in 2000 and in 2016, so you got a 16-year period where he was really in his prime there, and then all the preparation leading up to that first Olympics, so you got about 20 years he was committed to swimming. What kept him going? What got him out of bed on those days when he didn't want to work out, when, in his own words, he hated his coach and couldn't stand him? What kept him going? It was his dream. He had a dream from the time he was a, a child. He wanted to be the best swimmer ever. He wanted to prove all the skeptics wrong and win eight gold medals in a single Olympics, which he ended up doing in Beijing in 2008. And over the course of five Olympic Games from 2000 to 2016, Michael Phelps won 28 medals, 23 of which were gold. He's the most decorated Olympian in all of history. And those days that he didn't want to get in the pool, that he didn't want to work out, what kept him going was that dream. Envisioning himself on the podium, receiving yet another Olympic medal. And when he didn't want to get out of bed, he would just picture that moment, and it kept him going. Now, on Sunday night, we talked about the target of a Christian's life, the goal of our life, what what we are looking to accomplish. And it's, it's not winning gold medals. It's not an athletic event. Our goal is the furtherance of the gospel, to know Christ and make Him known, to make disciples. That is the purpose of our lives. And when we look at the life of Timothy in Scripture, he gives us this womb-to-tomb example. From the time he was an infant uh, to the time he died, what it looked like for him to be someone who, who furthered the work of the gospel. But here in our text in 2 Timothy 4, as we finish our series here, we're going to zoom in on the end of Paul's life, the example that Timothy was looking to follow. And we're going to see the example that he set for finishing well. And I hope that, like Michael Phelps, uh, when we... Uh, spiritually don't want to get out of bed, when we don't want to show up to our spiritual responsibilities, I hope that this picture of the Apostle Paul and how he finished well, I hope it will motivate us to do the same. First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, the Bible says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Tonight's message, if you're taking notes, is entitled, How to Finish Well. How to Finish Well. And you might be sitting here tonight and you think, I've got quite a few years left to live. I'm young. I don't need to think about death. I don't need to think about 
the end of my race. I'm not old. I'm not about to be executed like the Apostle Paul. Well, we always need to keep in mind that the Lord Jesus, His appearing, as we read in this text, could happen any moment. And so whether you're young and you feel like you have many years left, or whether you're older and you feel like you're in your, your last years, regardless of our age, we all need to be ready every day to finish well. And, and we need to treat every day as if it could be our last. And so as we look at the Apostle Paul in his final days, we can learn from his example of how to finish well. So let's pray, and then we'll read the rest of our text together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us examples like the Apostle Paul, and You show us right here how we can finish well. Well, Father, I pray that You would help all of us to live every day conscious of the fact that our Lord could return any moment. And I pray that we would finish every day well, assuming that it could be our last. Father, we pray that you give us understanding of this text, that you would bring out the truths that you know your people need. We pray that you would guide the tongue of this preacher, help me to speak clearly, and to say exactly what you once said. I pray that you would empower uh, the preaching of your word for the edification of your people, and that Christ might be magnified. Please speak to us now and do what only you can in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and read verses 9 through 22 uh, to finish out uh, this epistle. Uh, we'll read responsively. I'll begin in verse 9. If you read verse 10, all the way through to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 4, 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And uh, men in the middle, if I could really ask you to help anchor everybody. So Brother Samuel, Brother Marshall, uh, Brother Shanann, you guys could all stay together. Uh, we'll pick up in uh, verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Corinth, 
do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Wow, a lot of names. <laughs> that was challenging, but you did a good job. If we're going to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and finish well, number one, we need, you must encircle yourself with Christ-obsessed friends. Encircle yourself with Christ-obsessed friends. Notice verse 9. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul, the last inspired letter we have in Scripture and what is his last request of Timothy? Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. That phrase, do thy diligence, it means you speed, hurry, be zealous. Okay? It's the same type of phrase that a, an impatient husband might use as it's time to get out the door and he's, he's waiting on his wife. He might say, hurry up. Uh, that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Do thy diligence, hurry up, to come shortly unto me. And then in verse 21, just in case Timothy missed it, do thy diligence to come before winter. Paul did not want to be alone in his last days on earth. But this desire of his uh, reflects how he conducted his entire ministry all throughout Paul's life. You don't see him alone. You see Paul and Barnabas working together in Acts. Then you see Paul and Silas. And the idea we get from Scripture is that Paul hated being alone. In Acts 17, uh, he has to flee the city because of persecution. And Silas and Timotheus are left behind. In the very next verse, we read in Acts 17.15, They that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come, with him, come to him with all speed, they departed. And so it's consistent throughout Paul's life. He didn't like being alone. And in his letters, he's often including people. Yeah, in the greetings, he'll say stuff like Paul and Timotheus unto whatever the church was. But in this text, we see Paul didn't just want Timothy to join him in Rome during his last days. Look who else he wanted to be with him. Verse 11. He says, Only Luke is with me. So Luke, uh, the beloved physician, as Paul refers to him in Colossians 4.14, is with Paul there in Rome. But then notice what Paul says. Verse 11. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now, this Mark, I, I like to put it this way. He's the turncoat who ended up turning out. In the, in the book of Acts, he's on that first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul, but for whatever reason, he abandons the missionary crew and he goes home. He's a turncoat. He betrays them. He forsakes the mission. And then when you read in Acts 15, when Paul wants to go on his next missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's take Mark with us. And Paul we don't have the exact conversation, but it says he thought not good to bring him with him. He said, absolutely not. He left us the first time. Who's to say he's not going to do it again? I'm not taking Mark. And there was such a contention about it that Barnabas ended up going his own way and taking Mark with him. And then that's when Paul uh, chose Silas and they became missionary partners. Now, this is encouraging, Christian. 
Because all of us at one point in our life or another have failed like Mark. We haven't gotten out of bed spiritually. Uh, we quit. We were lazy. Are you filling the blank? We failed in some way. But for Mark, his story didn't end in Acts 13 when he left that first missionary journey. God never gave up on him, even though Paul perhaps did. And what I love here is that the way Paul refers to this same Mark, he says, he is profitable to me for the ministry. That word means useful, serviceable, valuable. Now, Paul had said to Barnabas, I don't want nothing to do with Mark as far as this missionary goes. He's basically saying, I have no use for him. And here, all these years later, he says, he is profitable. He is useful for the ministry. The same young man that at one point in time had been a liability to the work of Christ had hurt the mission. Now, here at the end of Paul's life, he's commending this same Mark as being quite useful in the work of the Lord. And I can't help but wonder if throughout the Apostle Paul's ministry, he, he looked back to what happened with Mark and maybe he felt bad. Maybe he thought, maybe I shouldn't have been so hard on him. Maybe I should have given him that chance. And here at the end of his life, perhaps, it's his last opportunity maybe to make it right. And he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gets to pen these words, Mark is profitable unto me for the ministry. A couple applications for our own life from this. We've said this before, but it's worth repeating. If you are still breathing, you still can be a valuable vessel in God's work. Forget about what's happened in the past, how you may have failed before, maybe who has given up on you in the past. If you're still breathing, God still wants to use you. And you can still be very profitable in the work of the Lord. But also, I think we should learn from this, not to give up on people so easily. As human beings, we can be so impatient. And aren't you glad that our God is patient with us? That He gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances? Over and over and over again, we mess up, but He, he keeps welcoming us back. And I believe if, perhaps if Paul had it over to do over again, he would have given Mark that second chance. And I pray that we will give people second chances too. And maybe there's someone in your life and they've wandered from God. Maybe they've given up on God or they're, they're straying from Him. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep finding ways to encourage them. Keep finding ways to love them. Mark came around and God ended up using him mightily. And you don't know how God could turn around someone in your life and make them profitable as well. Aren't you glad for a man like Barnabas who didn't give up on Mark? And that's why we have, I believe, the gospel according to Mark in Scripture, because Barnabas didn't give up on him. But what I really want you to see here, as far as um, making application to finishing our life well, and looking at the example of the Apostle Paul, I want you to see the caliber of people that Paul surrounded himself with. You've got Timothy, who we read in Philippians 2, verses 20 through 21. 
Paul said of Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So Paul categorizes the majority of professing Christians, and he says most of them are really in it for themselves, but not Timothy. He's got the mind of Christ. He's seeking after Christ above all things. And this is the type of person that Paul wanted with him in his last days. I want Timothy. Timothy, come to me with all speed. And then you've got Luke. He said, Luke is with me, and he's sending other people different directions. Uh, he's let Crescens go to Galatia and Titus into Dalmatia. Uh, he let Erastus go to Corinth. But Luke's not going anywhere, at least from what the text indicates. And Luke, remember, is the one who penned the gospel according to Luke. And we read in Luke 1, verse 3, Luke is, is writing here to Theophilus. He said, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So he says of the life of the Lord Jesus, I have had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Now he's not bragging there. He's just <clears throat> stating a fact. The Holy Spirit has so enabled him and helped him. He's got a perfect understanding of the Lord Jesus' life from beginning to end on earth. And this is the man that Paul wants to spend his last days with. A man who was obsessed with the Lord Jesus, who knew him as well as anybody could. That's who Paul wanted to be with. And then, I find this remarkable. In verse 11, we've got the Apostle Paul who wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Writing to Timothy who received two books of the New Testament. And he's mentioning two men who also wrote huge portions of the New Testament. He says, only Luke is with me and take Mark. And it's just what you don't, to see here. The three people that Paul expressly wanted with him in his dying days were people who were obsessed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark had written the gospel according to Mark. A, a summary of Jesus' life. Luke had written a gospel. And Timothy was a man like-minded. So what application can we make to our lives from this? Well, first, the, the, the easiest application is we should make these same friends. We should become very well acquainted with Mark and Luke and John and their accounts of the Lord Jesus' life. And we should spend as much time with them as we can. We've got their... There are books in our hand. We can get to know the Lord Jesus like they did. <coughs> also, we need to develop genuine friendships with others in our church family beyond just the surface. Can you imagine? I mean, I wish I was there. Can you imagine being in the same room with Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Mark as they're talking about the Lord Jesus? I mean, they would have never run out of stuff to talk about. And I'm sure they didn't get together and talk about what was happening at the Roman Colosseum and, and the sports world at that day. I'm sure when they got together, the dominating theme of their conversation was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what's sad? So many people, so many Christians, relationships at church only remain on the surface and some don't really enjoy friendships at church. And, and you'll even hear things like this, some people will say, I just don't have much in common with the people at church. You know what? That, that may very well be true. 
We all come from different backgrounds. We're different ages. There may not be a lot in common between you and someone else, and you may not think that you have that natural friendship. But all of us in this room who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have Him in common. And when we begin to fellowship around Him and enjoy Him together, that's when we will begin to enjoy the type of friendships that Paul did. Also, we should learn from this that we should try to be friends like Timothy, Luke, and Mark. If someone was trying to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and encircle or surround themselves with people who loved and were obsessed with Christ, would they pick you? Would they pick me? That's a very convicting question. And I hope we will become the type of people that, like Timothy, like Luke, like Mark, just obsessed with the Lord Jesus. And when you're around us, that's all we seem to talk about. That's all we seem to really care about. Those are the type of people that Paul surrounded himself with, not just in his last days, but for his whole life. And that's why he finished well. Number two, if we are going to finish well like Paul, number two, you need to focus your energy on others. Focus your energy on others, especially for the furtherance of the gospel. In this passage, by my count, Paul mentions the names of 15 friends. 15 friends that he mentions by name. Now remember, when he's writing this, he's in prison. He's about to be executed. In fact, the language he uses, I am ready to be offered. What he's really saying there is, I'm being offered right now. You study the original text. I, I, I'm being offered. I'm in the process of being offered. My life is as good as done. And yet, who's on his mind? Others. This is convicting to me. Because you know what the tendency is in my life? When I'm having problems, when I'm having a bad day, when I'm facing difficulties, I couldn't care less about anyone else. And I've got myself focused on little old me and my problems and my difficulties. And look at Paul. He's in a dungeon. He's about to be executed. But he's focusing his energy on others for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. Notice in verse 13, I mean, he's about to die. And these are his requests. These are the only things he really wants for himself. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. Winter's coming, I'm going to be cold. Bring the cloak that God left behind. And the books, but especially the parchments. You know, if I were about to die and I was in prison, I'd be saying, you know what, bring me one last Tim Hortons or something like that. But not Paul. I just want a coat so that when you're here, I'm not freezing and wanting to steal your coat. So bring me a coat, Timothy. And I want the books and the parchments. Now, we don't know exactly the nature of these books and parchments, what they were. But eight out of nine occurrences in the New Testament outside of Revelation. Revelation is talking about the books that are unrolled in heaven. So besides those, eight out of the nine occurrences of this same Greek word in the New Testament are referring to copies of Scripture. And knowing the Apostle Paul, I was, I was reading some commentary and some person said maybe he, he wanted the works of some poet. Or, or Paul didn't want to read poetry in his last days. Maybe he did, okay? But I believe that most likely he wanted copies of the scriptures. And then these parchments, these were 
valuable uh, animal skins, and they were very durable, and uh, you could write on them. And so we don't know for sure, but this is at least my conjecture, and, and you can draw your own conclusions. I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted books of the Bible, copies of the scriptures, and then parchments with which he could write last letters to the churches or to some key men like Timothy. I don't think like some people he was just so obsessed with studying that the day before he's executed he wants to get in some last minute study. I don't think Paul's that shallow. I believe he was focusing his energies on others and no doubt there were others that he wanted to write and encourage in his last days. Now Christian, it, it's not just when we're having a bad day that we're prone to focus on ourselves. Especially in our culture, we are, everything is geared and hardwired to help us and encourage us to be self-absorbed. And if we're not careful, all of us, you know, I can, I can go to work and, and be zoned in on all my tasks. And then I can get home and have a little free time and then be consumed on my phone. And then maybe I can be on an outing with family and whip out my phone again. I mean, how sad it is you, you go out to restaurants and you've got a family or a group of friends all sitting around a table in their phones. And so in our culture, it, we're going to have to work really hard not to be self-absorbed and, and to live for ourselves. And let's try to follow the example of Paul who invested in others. And you know the beautiful results of focusing our energy on others rather than ourselves? When our life ends, whether it's through death or the rapture, we will either leave people behind if it's death, and they'll continue the work of the gospel because of how we invested in them, or we'll bring them with us to heaven. And in this passage, verse 10, Paul mentions Crescens going to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 12, he mentions Tychicus, who really functioned as his mailman. If you do a little study on Tychicus, he was always delivering letters for Paul. He sends him to Ephesus, probably to fill in for Timothy while he's gone. Verse 19, he mentions Prissa and Aquila. It's the same Priscilla and Aquila uh, who, who led Apollos to Christ and, and had a church in their house in Ephesus. And all these years later, they're being faithful there. And then verse 20, he has Erastus in Corinth. Paul has people all over the place who are continuing the work of the gospel even after he's gone. And Christian, can I ask you, who are you going to leave behind preaching the gospel? Or if, if our lives end in the rapture, who are you going to bring with you? You know, it was a beautiful thing we witnessed a couple Sunday nights ago when Pastor Lenvoy was here. He got saved and very early on, Pastor Mackay helped disciple him. You know what now as Pastor Mackay reads these prayer letters from Williams Lake? That's fruit from his labor. People getting saved in Williams Lake are a direct result of the fact that he was faithful in Kelowna. And we can mention more names of people that Pastor Mackay led to Christ or, or Pastor Odom. They've left people behind other places to further the work of the gospel. And Christian, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to finish your course, either leaving people behind, continuing the work, or bringing them with you. Number three, and we'll close with this, if we're going to follow the example of Paul and finish well, you must keep your eyes on the Lord. 
Keep your eyes on the Lord. Verse 6, these are touching words of Paul. He says, I am now ready to be offered. The word he uses there literally means I'm, I, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. For Jews, the, the drink offering was, was an expression of thanksgiving to God. And often it could be added to a burnt offering as a sweet savor to God. What a beautiful picture. Christ's sacrifice, His death on the cross was all sufficient. Nothing needing to be added to it. And yet God gives believers, like Paul, like us, the opportunity to live our lives as a drink offering. Poured out after the same manner as Christ. Given to God. Wholly surrendered as our expression of thanksgiving for the fact that He was willing to give His life for us. And so as Paul is nearing the end, he's not whimpering, he's not willing, he's not discouraged, he's not depressed. I'm getting to pour out my life as a drink offering on top of the, the, the offering of Christ as a, a little small expression of my thanks for all that He did for me. And as you read these final verses, the Apostle Paul, as he does in all his epistles, he just keeps referring back to the Lord over and over. Verse 8, he says, The Lord, the righteous judge, has laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord record him according to his works. He's in the Lord's hands. I'm not going to waste my energy being bitter about how people have hurt me in the past. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. Verse 10, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was a, a trusted companion of Paul who we see mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. And he forsook Paul in his greatest hour of need. And it wasn't just Demas. Look at verse 16. At my first answer, at my first hearing with Caesar, my first trial, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. But notice his focus, verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And then verse 18, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. And then the final verse, the final words of the Apostle Paul in Scripture to Timothy, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now Christian, you live long enough, there are going to be some Demases who forsake you, who give it up, who quit, who quit on God, who quit on you. And that's tough. There are going to be some Alexander the coppersmith, some people who actively oppose the work of the Gospel and do all they can to injure and harm you. You're going to come to times in your life where maybe you, you feel like you needed people the most and they forsook you like Paul did. But can I remind you, if the Lord is with you, then you can finish well. If the Lord is with your spirit, if He's standing by, if He's strengthening you, you can finish well. Don't get your eyes on who's hurt you or who's failed you. Listen, if you're at Metro Baptist Church long enough, the leadership of this church is going to fail you at some point or another. But the Lord will never fail you. So keep your eyes on Him.
Christian, do you want to finish well like Paul? Well, then encircle yourself with Christ-obsessed friends. People like Mark, people like Luke, people like Timothy. Then focus your energy on others. Don't live for yourself. And ask yourself, who am I going to leave behind when I die? Or who am I going to bring with me at the rapture? And then through it all, keep your eyes on the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you show us what it takes to finish well. And we thank you that no matter what your people may be going through right now, and maybe at home or at work or at school, they've got problems bigger than they feel like they can fix. They've got difficulties that they don't know how they're going to resolve. We thank you that, like Paul, if we keep our eyes on you and remember that you're with us, we can finish well. And Lord, I pray, as we hear this song played, finish well, I pray that you'd help us to internalize the message of it and internalize what we've heard tonight and go home determined to finish every day well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to play a song over the speaker. I encourage you to listen to these words and determine uh, to apply them in your life this week.